Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Will America be ready for its 250th anniversary? Well, we'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. You've already heard about that. But I do have a new class out. It's July 2023. It's actually July 4th, 2023, so happy Independence Day. Happy Secession Day, everybody. If you want to get in on that class at a good discount, just use the coupon code WASHINGTON. The class is Reading George Washington. It's appropriate for the time we're talking about. It's a great class, 25 lectures on George Washington. You're going to get the real scoop on the man in his own words. So use the coupon code WASHINGTON. Get $70 off the class. It's the lowest price you'll ever see it, by the way. So if you want to capitalize on that, Get it while you can for a great deal. Just use the coupon code WASHINGTON when you check out. It's reading George Washington at McClanahanAcademy.com. Now, also, you can, you can support the show by clicking on the support tab at BrianMcClanahan.com. You can click on the super thanks button a little harder in the video if you're watching on YouTube. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. Go to Spotify for podcasters. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Let people know you love it. Give it a five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Comment on YouTube for the algorithm. All those things help get more ears and eyes on the show and send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right, well, the New York Times is concerned that we're not going to know how to celebrate the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Now, the mere fact that we're talking about, uh, talking about 2026 as the 250th anniversary shows you how skewed our understanding of American independence really is. George Washington actually considered the year to be 1775, not 1776. Of course, that's when we had the first military action, 1775. We know that Virginia had already seceded from the empire in June of 1776, and so did Maryland on July 4th, before the declaration was actually agreed to by the states. And so... We have this conception of the Declaration as being the birthday of America. Well, not everyone in the founding generation would, would agree with that. You know, John Adams thought it might be July 2nd, 1776. We, don't, we have a scattered understanding of what this actually meant. And what actually happened at that time period? We're, of course, seceding from the empire. The men leading this are now castigated by the modern left as being a bunch of old, dead, racist, slave-holding white guys. We can't celebrate them. We have to be inclusive in all of this. 
The founding fathers of them is just a joke to even talk about these people. So we have this very confusing understanding of the American past. And in fact, this is what the New York Times is wringing their hands over. Oh my gosh. How are we going to be inclusive? How are we going to celebrate America with all of these different things? How are we going to do that? You know why people are turned off by this? Because of that. In 1976, when we had the bicentennial celebration, there really wasn't much of that at all. The piece that I'm going to read to you today gets said, well, there were some of these groups, but most people didn't really care about that. They focused on the founding generation as the men who led it. They loved George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and Ben Franklin and Alexander Hamilton and James Madison and Patrick Henry. They loved the battles of Lexington and Concord the Battle of Saratoga, the Battle of Yorktown. They loved all these things. They went to Williamsburg and didn't think about all of the woke stuff that goes on now. They didn't care about any of that stuff. What they cared about was celebrating the men who led it. They didn't have all these discussions about roles of minorities and women and everything else in this because you know what? The real heavy lifting was done on the battlefield and, of course, in the halls of Philadelphia, the Second Continental Congress. They loved John Dickinson, and they went to these places these people lived. They went to Monticello and Mount Vernon and Montpelier. They went to these places and saw these men and thought, these are great men, and they weren't, you didn't have to bow your head and uh, have some kind of solemn remembrance for the fact that they were slave owners. They didn't have some kind of discussion about conflict of interest. Now, there, again, there were people on the left that did this. But the reason that Americans love this time period so much is because you didn't have to feel guilty about any of it. It was just a great big celebration. That's not what's happening now. You see, history is driven by guilt. We have to be guilty. We have to feel guilty about everything that happened that wasn't necessarily what we do today. And we have to be inclusive and include all these other people in the discussion. And then we have to look at this from a Lincolnian position. And the real birth of America was 1863 with the Gettysburg Address. And then the real birth of America after that, the real founding document is 1868 and the 14th Amendment. We have to look at it in this continuation. No. We should be looking at this period of time in the 250th anniversary of what it was. You had these great manly men, as Jefferson called them in the Declaration, who were doing extraordinary things to declare their independence from the empire, to lead to 13 independent governments that would then form a central government for commerce and defense. That was in itself pretty extraordinary. But of course, because they were flawed men, we have to talk about their flaws all the time, which is absolutely ridiculous. Again, People don't like history today. Young people don't like history today because all they're told is that we have to feel guilty about everything that happened. And there's a power play at, at work there. You people have to feel guilty because of these people. And how do you think that, I mean, again, you walk into a history classroom and you're told, you know, you have to feel guilty about this. And these people, you know, these people were oppressed and these people were this. And women were oppressed. And minorities were oppressed. And Indians were oppressed and whatever it was. Blacks were enslaved. And so everybody's got to feel guilty about this, except the people that had the bad things happen. Then you should feel empowered. Well, what's going on here? It's a power play. 
Now, we also know in certain parts of the South, particularly in Mississippi, they didn't celebrate July 4th for a generation because it was on that day that they were shelled relentlessly by the Union gunboats and a lot of people were killed. You see... And we also know that in the founding period, the early Federal Republic, the Republicans would often celebrate July 4th, whereas the Federalists would celebrate Washington's birthday. Washington considered both days, I mean, he loved his birthday, he thought people, it's fine, people celebrate that, but he considered both days to be important. He wasn't adverse to celebrating independence. He thought he actually signed his will in the 24th year of the independence of America, and that would be 1775. He signed his will in 1799, so he's looking back at 24 years. But the New York Times can't get this. The left can't understand this. And even the piece itself is not really aware this is what's happening. You go to a historic site, you go to Jefferson's house, and all you're told about is Sally Hemings. I mean, why would people want to do that? Why would people want to go through that? What's the point anymore? It, it's, uh, all it does is create uh, a guilt, terrible feelings. Nobody wants to study history and have those things. So people really love to celebrate July 4th in 1976 and the Bicentennial because it was a grand celebration. So let's get into the piece because, again, I think you know the New York Times is not really aware of what's happening. So for those planning in the United, the United States semi-quincentennial in 2026, the past few years have sometimes felt like one long winter at Valley Forge. They've had to battle public apathy toward the impending 250th anniversary of American independence. Why? Well, there's a reason. Nobody wants to be made feel, feel guilty about all this stuff. I mean, so there's public apathy because people are tired of guilt-driven history. Which has hardly been helped by the false starts, recriminations, and lawsuits plaguing the federal commission charged with coordinating the celebrations. There's also the problem. Once you get the federal government involved, it's going to be a disaster. We don't need a federal commission coordinating celebration. Let's just have people celebrate it. The piece does explain that later on. One person says, you know, it's actually kind of cool that everything's decentralized and disorganized. That's, they call it democracy. But in reality, we had different views of independence throughout the 13 American states, even in 1775 and 1776. There wasn't one federal head coordinating everything. It shows you the federal character of the original American federal republic. And then there's the tongue-twisting word itself, which has left more than a few people puzzling over not just what a semi-quincentennial is, but how the heck you say it. Still, as July 4th approaches, the effort is stepping into overdrive as planners hit what some wryly call the annual panic button. On Tuesday, the rebooted United States Semi-Quincentennial Commission, also known as America 250, will roll out a public engagement campaign at America Family Field in Milwaukee where the Chicago Cubs will face the hometown Brewers. Because nothing says American independence like Wisconsin and Illinois. <laughs> I mean, look, as much as I hate the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox, the place that any of this should be happening is not in the Midwest but in either Boston, New York, 
You could even say Atlanta, even though Atlanta was a major city, but Georgia as part of this, Baltimore. That's where these things should be happening. Even Pittsburgh. One of those areas. New York Mets. This is where it should be happening. I don't know if, I know New York Yankees are at home on July 4th. I don't know about the Red Sox or uh, uh, the Braves. I think the, uh, the Braves are... Uh, on, on the road. But certainly, you should be having this discussion at one of those places, not in the Midwest. Well, of course, Illinois with the Chicago Cubs. You know, that's the land of Lincoln. So what? But this federal commission is going to look at Illinois and Wisconsin. Now, nothing against those states, but when you t- start talking about American independence. You know, the Phillies? What about the Phillies? Right? I mean, are the Phillies at home? I don't know. Uh, I haven't been watching to see when they're at home. The only reason I know the Yankees are at home is they're playing the Orioles. And so far, at least 33 states have created commissions, while institutions across the country are stemming, uh, steaming ahead, I'm sorry, with plans for exhibitions and events of their own. 33 states. Well, good. The state should be leading this anyway. It's not some stupid federal commission. Of course, in 1976, they minted new coins. I don't know what they're going to do in 2026, but uh, they'll probably do something like that, which would be worth, uh, you know, having a, a collectible, something like that. But across the country, there's a sense of excitement and cautious optimism, along with no small amount of worry over how to create a unifying com- uh, commemoration at a moment when fighting about American history seems to be the real national pastime. Well, of course, it's always been the national pastime. Our entire discussion about the nature of America is always a fight over history. You saw this as early as uh, Mercy Otis Warren writing her history of America, and John Adams said this is why women shouldn't write history, because she blasted John Adams. She was trying to explain what the real founding was, and it wasn't Federalist. So we've always had a discussion, a fight over the meaning of history, because we've always had different interpretations about what American independence actually meant what it actually was, and what it would be. And this is the, uh, the interesting part. The effort to do inclusive history is bumping up against this other view of history, which is exclusive, exclusionary, simplistic, and whitewashed, said John Dichtel. Can't make that up. The president and chief executive of the American Association for State and Local History. And now it's all coming together, he said, in a ferocious and fascinating way. So what I do, what I talk about is exclusive, exclusionary, simplistic, and whitewashed. But what he does is inclusive. I mean, how stupid is this stuff? These people are just morons. Partisan political battles have yet to embroil semi-quincentennial planning specifically but as we talk to people, Dictal said, the number one thing they want is more help navigating these times, which are probably only going to get worse. They're just, they're just having trouble navigating these times. They can't figure out how to do it. Oh, I'm worried about how we're going to be so inclusive. I got an idea. Let's celebrate George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and Let's celebrate American independence. Let's celebrate secession. Let's talk about the battles. 
And let's not worry about all that other stuff. We can do that some other time. But let's really talk about what it was. Let's talk about the fact that George Washington, and you're going to get this in the reading George Washington class. Let's talk about the fact that a Scotsman sent George Washington a box and called him that was made from the oak that William Wallace hid in after the Battle of Falkirk and called him the American William Wallace. Let's talk about that. That's cool. No, we can't do that because Washington wasn't committed to civil rights. Neither was Thomas Jefferson. So we have these stupid, boring, banal discussions about all the bad things. And we don't talk about the greatness of these men. Because I'm going to tell you, Dictol wouldn't be able to write the Declaration of Independence if he put it in front of him and he had to transcribe it. Neither would most of the dopes who are running around trying to organize these committees, particularly at the national level. They wouldn't be able to come up with a constitution for their own you know, knitting club or book club. And yet these men wrote 13 state constitutions, two constitutions for the general government, created a government, formed it out. I mean, these are great men. And Dicto wouldn't be able to do any of that. In May, unease ran through the historical community when former President Donald Trump released a campaign video pledging to hold a year-long salute to America 250, including a great America State, American State Fair with pavilions from all 50 states, nationwide high school sports competitions, and the construction of his proposed National Garden of American Heroes. Now, I talked about that on this podcast before. But, of course, this is... Um, uh, this is... You know, because Donald Trump proposed it. Oh my gosh, that's just going to be exclusive, exclusionary, whitewashing, history. Oh no. Of course, when you look at the National Garden of American Heroes, it's a bunch of people that the left would have loved in 1880 or 1900. It's just, it's just Straussian, West Coast Straussian nonsense. But still, an American state fair, I mean, it sounds like I mean, this is something that would have happened, say, in 1976. But now, oh no, oh no, Republicans are going to get involved in this and it's going to ruin it because it's going to be exclusive, exclusionary, and whitewashed. In other words, people might have fun, you know, because they're not going to be made feel guilty about everything. And a growing number of state-funded historical institutions have come under political fire. Last month, Republican lawmakers in Alabama threatened to defund the state archives after it hosted a lecture on LGBTQ history. They're coming under political fire. It's Alabama. Look, Alabama. You see, if it's not Alabama, it's Jefferson Davis. And if it's not Jefferson Davis, it's John C. Calhoun. And if it's not John C. Calhoun, it's some founding father did something people don't like. Oh, it could also be Texas, and it could be the Alamo. It could be that, too. In Texas, where the state's historical association has been mired in discord for months, the executive director, J.P. Bryan Jr., a billionaire energy executive, has filed a suit alleging that the group's board is illegally stocked with left-leaning academics who want to distort authentic Texas history. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> that's probably true. J.P. Bryan needs to get in on the Abbeville Institute. We would, we would love to have his money. We could do lots of stuff if we had lots of money. That would be against this. Maybe, maybe somebody knows J.P. Bryan listens to this show and 
He can, we can turn them on to the Abbeville Institute. But Rosie Rios, the chair of America 250, said politics had not been an issue for the Federal Commission, which includes both Democratic and Republican legislators. Well, see, in many ways, it, it probably shouldn't be for the Democrat and Republicans because they all think the same thing. They all believe in the proposition nation myth. It shouldn't really be a problem. You know, the, the only difference is Republicans think the revolution stopped in 1868, maybe, or maybe 1954, but Democrats think it's, it just continues, right? So the Republicans took the revolution to 1954. The Democrats keep taking the revolution beyond that. That's the only difference. In some ways, the messiness of the planning is a back-to-the-future moment. Today, the bicentennial, with its painted fire hydrants and explosion of 1776 themed products, is mostly remembered through a hazy lens of nostalgia. But the run-up to 1976 also came during a polarized moment after the Vietnam War and Watergate. In 1973, Congress disbanded the original Federal Bicentennial Commission after leaked documents suggested that Richard Nixon was seeking to manipulate it for political gain. In 1975, the New York Times reported that the impending celebration featured a crowded calendar but an uncertain focus. And the history on view was not just a whitewash celebration. There was a growing attention to complexity, contradiction, and dissent thanks to groups like the Afro-American Bicentennial Corporation and the left-wing People's Bicentennial Commission, which disrupted the official commemoration of the Boston Tea Party and even hung Ronald McDonald from a liberty tree. Oh my gosh. Not Ronald McDonald! You can't hang Ronald McDonald from a liberty. I mean, who who would dare hang Ronald McDonald? But you know, so this, well, you see, even 1976, you had all these groups. Nobody's ever heard of the Afro-American Bicentennial Corporation or the People's Bicentennial Commission. Nobody's ever heard of these people. It takes the New York Times to dredge this stuff up and say, see, these people were important. No, they weren't. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. One of the biggest legacies of the Bicentennial, scholars say, was a boom in popular interest in history. And what scholar M.J. Razma Palaska, in her book History Comes Alive, calls a more emotional personal engagement with the past. Well, I do agree with that. There was a boom in popular history. People got really interested in, uh, in that time period. Of course, you know, the late 18th century, they even had interest in history beyond that, but the founding generation was much more in view People were really thinking about these things. And people were interested in historic sites and doing things like that. Now there's no interest in these things. Why? Because it's all about guilt. The anniversary also generated major investments in history-related infrastructure, not just the places where Paul Revere wrote or Betsy Ross sewed. According to a 1982 survey, as many as 40% of the nation's roughly 23,000 historical organizations were created in the bicentennial era. Yeah. Again, because people were interested in something that was positive. Whether there's still time or money for similar projects is uncertain. And the stumbles by the Federal Commission established by Congress in 2016 haven't helped. In June 2022, Meta, thank God Meta pulled out, then the sole corporate sponsor, see this is the thing, do we need corporate sponsors for the Bicentennial? We see what they do. Corporations are the bane of any kind of thing that goes into a celebration because then it becomes all about money and then trying to appeal, being inclusive and you know, trying to appeal to everything and it just ruins it all. 
And if they don't do the right thing, then they can be sued and everything else. So we, let's get the corporations out. That would be a good idea. Withdrew from a $10 million partnership amid concerns over leadership. Several months earlier, four female employees of the Commission's Supporting Foundation filed a federal lawsuit alleging that the group had fosters a sexist environment while engaging in cronyism, self-dealing, and mismanagement of funds. The Foundation denies the allegations, noting its most recent annual report that an independent investigation did not find support for them. And that would be the four women that filed a lawsuit. So there was no, there's nothing there. But hey, if you can file a lawsuit, go to it. In July 2022, the commission's chairman, Daniel M. DeLayla, a Philadelphia developer, was replaced by Rios, a former U.S. treasurer in the Obama administration. This past March, DeLayla remains on the commission, filed his own lawsuit, alleging that the three fellow commissioners had conspired to oust him. Rios, who has served on the commission since 2018, declined to comment on lawsuits, but she said the commission was now united and ready for a fresh start. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know. Ready for a fresh start. I mean, nothing's going to scream this than uh, Rios. There are new partnerships with Nextdoor, which helped coordinate celebrations across Britain for Queen Elizabeth Platinum Jubilee and YMCA. Yeah, YMCA USA and the Brewers-Cubs game. The commission will roll out America's Invitation, a campaign encouraging people to share personal stories and hopes and dreams for the future of the country. Oh, yes. That's what July 4th is all about. Oh, yes. This is going to be grand, isn't it? <laughs> hmm. uh, that, that sounds like a great July 4th. The event, Rio said, was deliberately middle American. Baseball, hot dogs, and apple pie, she said, is benefiting the desire to keep the effort broad and bottom up with reach from Fairbanks to Philadelphia. Right, so it's middle American. Baseball, hot dogs, nothing says July 4th like baseball, hot dogs, and apple pie. Nothing says independence, secession, like baseball, hot dogs, and apple pie. This is stupid. You know what it's going to do? It's going to turn people off. It's not even based on the real meaning of independence at all. They're already screwed it up. We want this to be the most comprehensive and inclusive commemoration the country has ever seen, she said. In other words, we want to not be successful because people are not going to um, like this very much. They're not going to. I'm telling you right now, if they follow this path and they don't go to the path of, let's talk about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, the great men, that nobody's going to care. In the meantime, other groups have been coordinating on their own. In March, some 300 people from three dozen states gathered at Colonial Williamsburg for a three-day con convening, timed to the 250th anniversary of the Committee's of Correspondence, which fostered communication among the growing number of colonists angered by British policies. The gathering, which will be repeated in 2024 and 2025, was intended to create a sense of cohesion. But for some, the decentralized and ad hoc nature of the planning is, at a, is a strength, or at least a useful metaphor. It's messy because democracy is messy, said Nathaniel Shidley, the president and chief executive of Revolutionary Spaces, which operates the Old South Meeting House and the Old State House in Boston. There's something fitting about it playing out in this way. If it were boxed and top-down, would feel inauthentic to the history. I actually agree with Shidley there. That's 100% true. But you see, Old South Meeting House and Old State House, well, these are exclusive and exclusionary and whitewashed places. They're not 
Cubs, Brewers, ball games of hot dogs and trying to get your experiences from people like Rios. You see, this is old traditional stuff. And the people that went to Williamsburg were doing old traditional things, which people like, by the way. At the gathering, there were presentations of research showing that Americans' views of history are far less polarized than news coverage might suggest. I actually agree with that. We have a very Lincolnian view of American history. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. And there's always the foil, which is Jefferson Davis, Alabama, Mississippi, John C. Calhoun, and the Confederacy. And if you, if, I mean, that's the bad guys. We have the good guys and the bad guys. That's the view of American history. And there was plenty of good-natured ribbing among attendees from Virginia, Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania over whose revolutionary legacy was bigger and better. Well, of course, it would be Virginia. Not Pennsylvania at all. Pennsylvania can't claim anything there. Massachusetts and Virginia would be the two, but Massachusetts would have been hung out to dry without Virginia. It wouldn't have pulled anything off. But overall, the emphasis was less on soaring oratory than the nuts and bolts of legislation, funding, and for states beyond the original 13 colonies, ways to link the semi-quincentennial to their own histories. During a lightning round of state updates, Jason Hansen, the chief creative officer at History Colorado, said his state's commission hope to piggyback on the positive energy around Colorado's 150th anniversary on August 1st, 2026. Everyone loves Colorado, so that feels safe, he said. Colorado's a beautiful place. And I do think that you can have this, this, uh, this part of it, the attachment to the original 13 and what they did think about this, independence, the original federal republic, federalism. We could celebrate all those things. It'd be great. But no, 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 that's not what we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate a Lincolnian view of what this thing is all about. In a later interview, he elaborated, that's not to say we don't have people in Colorado who have different views, Hansen said, but so far we've been able to stay on this more constructive ground. For some, looking back at the bicentennial itself can help connect past and present. In Utah, the Division of State History has organized a project called the Peoples of Utah Revisited, which brings together professional and community-based scholars to update a bicentennial year book. It's also holding scanning events across the state where people can bring letters, scrapbooks, like one documenting the Chicano movement in Utah in the 1960s and 70s, and other items to be digitized and added to the state's online collections. Yes, because nothing says uh, Independence Day like that. Sure. I mean, look, I love the fact that people are interested in history and bringing all this stuff in, and that's fantastic. Uh, what we often get, though, when we do history is the is the extraordinary, the the, the unusual and we consider that to be history and it has greater impact than it really did. And then we think that this is the most important thing to talk about because a bunch of lefties get involved and they say, well, these are the important things. And then the, the people that actually weren't rabble-rousers and uh, that just went out and did things, well, they're left behind. And of course, they're just exclusionary. You, know, it's, you can't talk about those people. We're trying to make sure the community sees itself reflecting in a historical society, which can really be cha challenging, Jennifer Ortiz, the History Division Coordinator, said. But even as mainstream institutions diversify, some public historians say it's important to recognize the role of culturally specific institutions. Well, of course. Because you can't have, you can't leave anything out. Noel Trent, the president and chief executive of the Museum of African American History of Boston and Nantucket, said that having a robust black history woven through the semi-quincentennial is important. But my bigger concern is not just having black history in predominantly white spaces, but continued support of black museums, she said. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so we got to weave this in somehow. When you start doing this, you make, again, you take away what people actually like about it. Many planners are careful to describe the 250th as a commemoration rather than a celebration. Others disagree. It has to be a celebration, not an observance, not a memorial, not a wake, not an occasion for national gloating or repentance, said Wilfred M. McClay, a professor of history at Hillsdale College. I got to agree with McClay 100% here. It has to be a celebration. But the way you celebrate is important. Again, uh, and this would be, you know, not, not, a, not a time of repentance or gloating. But McClay, the author of the textbook Land of Hope, also said it didn't have to present a false front of unity. Part of what we are at our best is a nation that protects the freedom of to dissent and disagree, he said. Hansen of History Colorado also said there should be room for shared joy. We all talk about doing inclusive history, and this is our greatest opportunity in a generation to really show what that looks like, he said. But also we want this to have moments where it feels like where the Nuggets win the NBA. I just want to be high-fiving strangers, he said, because we are not strangers. We're all out here for the same reason. That's a nice sentiment at the end, but um, look, if it's it's the New York Times buries McClay at the end because the New York Times wants to paint this in one direction, but McClay is exactly right. They bury it at the end because what it has to be is a celebration. It was a celebration in 1976. We go to a commemoration, or we go to some type of repentance, or solemn occasion, or guilt-driven nobody's going to like it. And the reason that people don't like history anymore because it's never a celebration. It's always gloating or repentance or power or whatever we're looking at. That's what it's about. It's about one-upping somebody. My team beat your team. Scoreboard. Look what happened. You owe me something. You owe me an apology. Whatever it is. For all these stupid... I mean. Look, we're not talking about something that happened now. We're talking about something that happened 250 years ago. So who owes anybody anything? And even the my team stuff, when you get to the South and the North and the war, I mean, we get that, you get that a lot. My team, your team. And the worst for that are these uh, you know, Lincolnites. They're terrible with it. Uh, just simply somebody saying, you know, I, I, I'm proud of uh, having Confederate... Uh, ancestors. Oh, you can't be. You're a traitor. I mean, it's it's kind. Of, it's this is just kind of stupid stuff. But that's what we get. So, anyways, uh, are we ready for 250th birthday? Well, if the left gets a hold of it, it's going to be awful. If the federal government controls it, it'll be terrible. 100%. So we'll see what it's going to turn out to be. I think it's going to be a great big mess, uh, and it's going to really show that. Um, uh, if we don't have guilt-driven history, then the left can't get behind anything. Uh, and so we'll see what happens. I think that it's going to be um, not something that most people are going to really be excited about, particularly with all of the discussion about this or that. or the, you know, Let's just focus on the founding generation. That will be good. And uh, that would be a grand opportunity for celebration. All right. See you tomorrow on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.